Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Introducing Pega Megoya, Expression of Love, new translations of a selection of guzzles from Painandlal Goya. Today's podcast begins with the recitation of Painandlal's guzzle in Persian, followed by a new English transcreation, the result of a unique collaboration between Dr. Fatima Fayaz and Dr. Nadra Khan of Lahore University of Management Sciences, Damanpreet Singh, writer and graduate student, and Inikor of Sikri. Followed by a discussion between Daman and Inni about the beauty of the guzzle and the transcreation process. Ey kamal to kamal asto kamal asto kamal. Ey jamal to jamal asto jamal asto jamal. ای که نزدیکی تو از شهرگ و عالم حیران یار ما این چه خیال است و خیال است و خیال من ندانم که کدامم که کدامم که کدام بنده اویم و او حافظ من در همه حال دل من فارغ و در کوی تو پرواز کند گرز راه کرم خیش ببخشی پروبال صاحب حال به جز حرف خدا دم نزند غیر ذکرش همه آواز بود قیل و مقال مرشد کامل ما و بندگیت فرماید ای زهی فال مبارک که کند صاحب حال بی تو یک دم و نفس هست مرا همچو سال این وبال است و وبال است و وبال است و وبال هر که گوید تو چه باشی و چه گوید جز تو گشت حیران همه عالم همه در عین جمال Your perfection is so perfect, so perfect, so perfect. Oh, your beauty is so exquisite, so exquisite, so exquisite. Oh, you are closer than the jugular vein, yet the world is confounded, oh my friend. What a thought, what a thought, what a thought. I do not know who I am, who I am, who I am. I am his servant. And he protects me at all times. My heart yearns to be free and fly towards you, only if your mercy bestows it with feathers and wings. The discerning man takes no breath other than the word of God. Besides his remembrance, all utterances are nothing but noises. May our perfect spiritual guide bless you with his servitude. How fortunate is that omen that turns you into a discerning man. Without you, each moment and every breath seems as long as a year. This torment is hard to bear, hard to bear, hard to bear. Everyone who asks about you 
affirms nothing but your presence. The entire universe is amazed by your ever-present ultimate beauty. Guru Fateji, this is Enikor in conversation with Damanpreet saying on Ghazal number 52 from the Painandlal collection of Divane Goya. Welcome, Damban, and what a treat we have in store today for our listeners. I mean, this particular guzzle, I really enjoyed, um, you know, uh, working on it for the podcast, and I loved the the rhythm and the rhyme, so much so that I listened to it in the Farsi just to get into the flow of it. Um, so uh, before we go further... What is the repeated word in this guzzle? And I know it plays out so beautifully here. Yeah. Um, so the repeated word, or rather sound, in this guzzle is the long A and L sound that we see at the end of the second line of each couplet, at the end of both the first and second line of the first couplet. And what, as you're alluding to, what's interesting about this is that there are several lines where um, Ainandalal uses the same word in a repeated fashion to emphasize the perfection and the beauty, etc. You know, we'll go through each line, but to emphasize the kind of the perfect nature of the divine. And... Um, so part of the rhythm, as you're saying, as re- as our listeners have already heard the ghazal, part of the rhythm of this ghazal, which is a little bit unique compared to the other ghazals we've had so far, is that there is this like re- repetition within the lines in addition to at the end of the lines. And that to me is really um, the part, the emphasis, and you know, it's the movement that gets to me and it's like, I can feel myself moving in this guzzle. Mm-hmm. So in the, the first couplet, oh, your perfection is so perfect, so perfect, so perfect. Oh, your beauty is so exquisite, so exquisite, so exquisite. I just love that. You know, that rhythm of that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we were able to capture the bit of the rhythm and the beauty that is in the original mm-hmm. and we didn't butcher it. Thank heavens. <laughs> We've done enough butchering, you know, on, on a few of them. But, uh, you know, the word Kamal is mainly used for when somebody, you know, Kamal hogi gal, you know, you, mm-hmm. when you cannot describe the wonder, the beauty when you see something that surpasses anything and everything you have witnessed or experienced. So nothing can be compared to that level. It's the highest level. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think we chose the word perfect. Mm-hmm. And the next word is Jamal, which we've translated as beauty. So that's, you know, I would love for you to speak to that. But we toyed with the idea for the word exquisite, mm-hmm. whether to use pure or exquisite. So if we had used pure, how would that have worked? I mean, your beauty is so pure, so pure, so pure. It has a different connotation. It has a different feeling. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think you're right that we captured some of the rhythm that comes through in the original in the translation. Um, what is 
what was challenging in the English is because in the original Persian, as um, listeners will have heard, he's using this very same word throughout the sentence, but we kind of had to make choices. So we transitioned from perfection to perfect and beauty to exquisite. Like perhaps if we were trying to be as literal as possible, we would actually want to say something like, your perfection is perfection is perfection is perfection, which I think is powerful. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Not us regretting our choices. <laughs> no, I'm regretting it. <laughs> Story of our lives. <laughs> but, but I think the reason we decided not to go with that is because it sounded, I, I think, I don't know. I think we were thinking that it would be difficult. It wouldn't flow. Um. And I don't think it works as well with each line. I think your beauty is beauty is beauty is beauty also works. But the argument, I think, with the word beauty, with the word Jamal, rather, is that it's more than just beauty. It's more, to, more than an ordinary beauty. And he's actually saying that your beauty is such that beauty, you know, your beauty is such that it's capital B beauty. Mm. Your perfection is such that it's capital P perfection. Mm. and so you know maybe it's a it could be done differently i think we, we've done a pretty good job um now i'm not sure but now i'm not sure either <laughs> but right so you know alternatively is it your perfection is perfection is perfection is perfection your beauty is beauty is beauty is beauty um perhaps you know we can you know, drop a poll in the chat and people can weigh in. <laughs> but right. but the point, I think the point we wanted to, we wanted at the very least to like retain the structure of the sentence because I think this is um, a really good example of a case where the way in which the sentence is written is so crucial to understanding the meaning um, that it became important to focus on the structure, whereas a lot of times we'll stray away from the structure of the sentence to make sure that it makes sense in English. But here it was, the structure was as important as the words. So we would do it, your perfection is perfection, is perfection, is perfection. Your beauty is beauty, is beauty, is beauty. And those are very powerful statements. <laughs> There's no ambiguity there. He's declaring. Right. You know, it's a declaration. So now I can understand when we've done it this way, how couplet three, I think, connects with the this because he's already laid out his... There's no question. I mean, he's just laid it out there, what the divine or, you know, means. It's just perfection and it's beauty, both with capital P and capital B. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. So we come to the second one. Oh, you are closer than the juggler vein, yet the world is confounded. Oh, my friend, what a thought. What a thought, what a thought. 
Now, I feel this couplet is being addressed to the reader. Mm-hmm. You know, what, but what struck me was um, Goya's depth of knowledge of Islam. I don't know why it should strike me. Of mm-hmm. course, I know he is that. But in this particular cu- couplet, it comes out loud and clear. I mean, it, there are references in the other guzzles. But in this one, you know, here we are getting glimpses of it in a very powerful way. Like he wants to get his thought across to a particular audience. And by using by using a saying, by putting a saying from the Quran, which goes something like this, when God says, I'm closer to you, you know, this is something in the Quran, I believe it is, when God says to you, I'm closer than your closer to you than your juggler vein. Mm-hmm. Yet the world is heran, right? Mm-hmm. The word is heran. Heran is 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 when you're overwhelmed by something so majestic and powerful, you're also surprised, you're also astonished. Uh, but because this couplet is being addressed to every living being, we could probably simply, if we had to put it, the world is wondering about you. If they only, if only they understood you, if they only understood you are closer than the juggler vein. Mm-hmm. You are so close to us, yet the world is a heron. So we are unable to see this reality, and we find ourselves so far away from this entity, this force, this divine, this divinity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I found that the Islamic context, particularly when he's referring to, a, I think it's an, it's, I think it's a hadayat, that it's very much there in the Quran. So I think I have a question. So we'll see the word heron again at the very end of this puzzle, and we've translated it a little bit differently in both places. Mm-hmm. As you're explaining it, it suggests... Um, astonishment and amazement and wonder and being faced with something that's you know absolutely amazing that one can't make sense of perhaps um, and so I think so we'll get back to the word heron and whether um, the word confounded suggests all of that is up for debate but that's kind of what's suggested with the original word um, I think you make a really interesting point about thinking about who his audience might be and what kind of references he's making use of. And we've seen this in the past where he'll make use of, um, like he'll talk about the the Garden of Paradise or the Bridge of Sirath, right? He'll use references to that would be familiar to... Um, you know, and Lou Fennec's argument is that he's writing to Sufis, but that would be will would be familiar to, um, would be familiar to the broader in within the broader context that he's writing in, which is the 17th century, and so forth, um, and is kind of making use of these images from these Islamic images to make an argument while also engaging these images, but while making an argument for perhaps a slightly different understanding of the divine or engaging these images to engaging these images to convey his experience of the divine, which is 
not quite the Sufi experience. You know, he's using these Sufi tropes, but it's not quite the same as the Sufi experience of the divine that he's encountering. Um, so I think that's really important to know. I think I have a question here, which I started to say and then I didn't finish. Um, but I'm wondering, so in in this couplet, are you interpreting the world to mean like people at large? So he's kind of talking to the divine and saying, you're closer than the jugular vein, which I had to look up, which is, you know, the vein and that goes from your neck to your head or whatever, you know, right? You're absolutely crucial right. vein that sustains you. And the, you, the divine, are closer than the jugular vein, which also, as you're noting, any is a comes from the Islamic tradition. Yet the world is confounded, yet the world is They can't figure it out. Right. So is it that right? So is it that the world can't figure it out? Or is it that the world is like astonished and amazed and awestruck by something that's like within the within us? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like right. how are you interpreting this? I think so like me, I don't know how I'm yeah. interpreting this. Yeah, I think for me it is that you're closer than you're you're so close to us, yet we cannot figure you out. People cannot figure you out. So it's not confused. It's like, we don't get it. Because, and then he says, what a thought this is, mm -hmm. that you're closer to us than, than this vein, but we can't get it. But this is a powerful thought that you're that close to us. Mm -hmm. So close that you're within. Yeah. And. So that second line, tell me, because we've translated as, oh, my friend, what a thought, what a thought, what a thought. So how it worked with, you know, it was following the pattern, the, mm -hmm. the couplet, the first couplet. So if you had to do it in the literal, what would that be? Yeah, this, that one we, this one we stuck with the literal. Oh, we stuck with the literal. Yeah, okay. because we used the same word throughout. So, right, Yarema, oh, my friend. Maybe perhaps I would, maybe I wouldn't want to have a discussion <laughs> with the rest of the team about... There's a word here, in, which means this. So perhaps it would be like, what a thought this is, what a thought this is, what a thought this is. I think it's implied in the English without that that's what he's, that he's referring to the thought that comes in the line before. Um, but I think it's interesting, right? Because it, the word heron has so many meanings that it, it seems to me, right? It's both like the world isn't, we as the world are not able to figure it out that you actually are in fact closer than the blood that keeps us alive. And also that we're absolutely amazed by something that's closer to us than the blood that keeps us alive, right? Where there's right. a way in which one thinks about the divine as this awesome being that's outside of us or that watches over, right? There's all the ways we think about God, but we here, I mean, like, as a society at large, how we think about God, the images people use in, like, everyday language to talk mm -hmm. about the divine or talk about, the, you know, even the universe, right? There's this awesome image that's conveyed by invoking something like the universe or the energy, you know, all the different ways we talk about the divine, all the different ways we talk about God. Um, 
yet all those metaphors like don't actually get at the closeness of the divine to us, which is closer than the jugular vein. So I think those both of those interpretations maybe can work. Yeah, and you know, I mean, when I was I was working with this um, couplet, you know, in Gurbani we have, you know, that the one dwells in each and every heart and is pervading everywhere and is nearest and the near, khat khat basi, sarab nivasi, right? It's, so it's, but we don't believe it. Yeah. And that's the part is that it's there. Yes, it's been reiterated so many times, but we don't get it. Yeah. Well, it's like an impossible to conceptualize at some level, right? right? Like, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's why he gets to the second line. Oh, what a thought. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. What a thought. What a thought. What a thought. It is an amazing thought. I mean, you know, for me, when it was Sabme Jyothe Soe, and it was like, that was a pause moment, a huge pause moment. What? Mm-hmm. That was an amazing thought. That changed my life. That I had the jyot within me. Nobody had ever told me that. And so I can relate to what a thought, what a thought uh, that is. That you're so close and yet we, we're looking for you everywhere else. So let's come to the third couplet. Which is which I'm really partial to, and, you know, I, I really sat with this for a while. I do not know who I am, who I am, who I am. I am his servant, and he protects me at all times. At one level, you know, I can feel his humility, surrender, and trust so much in that first line. It comes out loud and clear. It's like, You know, I can relate to that. I've lost, I've not, you're, it's not lost. It's like you're absorbed and you don't really, the I is, got, is finished. Mm-hmm. And all that you know is that you want to serve. And you are also that trust that protection will be there at all times. But what is interesting, which I found, was that he's acknowledging it to the world. You know, it's one thing that you know it within yourself, but it's another thing when you put it down on paper Mm -hmm. and say it out. Um, I know we spent a bit of time whether in the second line, whether he protects me at all times, I am his servant and he protects me at all times, or I am his servant and he is my protector at all times, you know, protects me all the times. But I have a larger question. I mean, today is my day of questions <laughs> with you. Um, I am, you know, um, a little hesitant with this his bit. I am his servant, right? Um, So I'd love to know what it is in Farsi, if it is, you know, how the gender works. And he protects me at all times. I would prefer, Daman, it to be, I do not know who I am, who I am, who I am. 
I am the divine servant and the divine protects me at all times. Yeah. Which is a much softer connotation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that I would agree with that. I would agree with either going with the divine or the kind of gender neutral in English, which we would use perhaps I'm their servant. Um, to address the last question first, in Persian, which is a gender neutral language, the pronoun for um, his is the same as the pronoun for her, for example. Um, the reason we made the choice to use the he and his here is because in a later couplet in this ghazal, we'll see him refer to the him being by Nandal, refer to the divine as Khuda, um, which we've translated as God. Um, and I think that I think that my personal argument would be that because Persian is a gender neutral language, even though classically we might translate Khuda as God and under and use he him pronouns to refer to Khuda or God. Um, because Persian is gender neutral, it would, I think, be entirely acceptable to say I am the divine servant to like circumvent the problem altogether, or to say I am their servant, um, personally. But typically, Khuda is translated as God, and the pronouns he and him are used in the English, um, which is why we've made this choice. Um, the servant versus protector. So the first thing to note is the word that we've translated as servant is bande, which, you know, is also, we've seen a lot in Bainantala's work, we know from Gurbani, but, um, you know, we've translated bandagi as reverence bondage in the past. Um, so the most literal translation of bande, of course, is slave. Um, we've used the word servant. And I think that the argument for protect we've made the we chose to use protect instead of protector because of just flow mm -hmm. in terms of it, it works better in the english to say i am a servant as he and he protects me at all times but in the original persian there is a parallel structure in the line where it's the literal would be you know i am his servant and he is my protector at all times. So, you know, it's servant and protector. He's using the noun form in both. So there's kind of like a parallel, mm. which we lose in the English when we use protect, but it is like a flows a little bit better, I think. Um, but perhaps, you know, you could also then say, I am their servant and they are my protector at all times. Or you could say, I'm the divine servant and the divine is my protector at all times. Um, I think all of those would would convey what's being said in the original. Um, I think I agree with you that this couplet is really powerful in terms of there's like this collapse of, you know, who I am and who am I? It's actually, I'm simply the, the slave or the servant and mm -hmm. they are my protector. Yeah. I, I really, um, it was like I could feel the melting of Painandla mm -hmm. as he was writing this. 
it's that moment where the head falls and there is that, uh, you know, you begin with you are perfection, you are beauty, you're closer to me than the juggler vein. And then it is, you know, you come to here. I really don't know who I am. All I am is your servant. And I, all I want to do is, is to be, to serve you. And I know you are my protector. So that thought that is flowing is very powerful. You know, I, I feel I am in that, uh, you know, like the river is flowing. I mean, in that river that I am, I can feel the flow of this one. So, Daman, I come to the couplet number four. My heart yearns to be free and fly towards you. Only if your mercy bestows it with feathers and wings. So I love this line, my heart yearns to be free and fly towards you. I don't know really what more I can say about this couplet. It's, I guess it's both my desire to be free and to fly towards you. I, I look at that or I feel that or I sense that, that this is about grace. But then this word mercy, only if your mercy bestows it with feathers and wings. So I'm curious about the word mercy. What is it in, in Farsi? That, and how have we translated that word? And what are you getting out of this couplet? Okay, so yeah, I think you're right. I think the word mercy could have been easily um, translated as grace, as you're saying. Um, the root in the Persian is baksh, which we also have oh. in, in Punjabi, which um, I think does have the suggestion both of being granted or bestowed mercy yeah, um, or, you know, being graced. Um, mm -hmm. And we did use the word, the verb bestowed in this, in this translation as well. But yeah, I think the way that um, Fatima explained it to us and the way we might interpret this is there's kind of a sense of, you know, his heart. So he starts with his heart desiring to be on the path of the divine, of, you know, yearning to be free and fly towards you, the beloved. But this can only happen with grace, with mercy. This can only happen if the beloved themselves allow me to be on the path. Mm, lovely. Um, right. So I think that's where the imagery of like, my heart is yearning to be free and to fly. And to fly, I need the wings and I need the feathers. And only you can give me those feathers and those wings. Um, and I think there's... Um, from what Fatima was telling us, this is an imagery we also see in Rumi and Hafiz. So against, again, we have a um, Nandwal kind of deploying imagery that would be kind of well-known for those who are versed in Persian poetry. Um, this image of the bird um, who's kind of trapped in the cage of the world or trapped in the body who's yearning to be um, able to be free and to fly on the path of the beloved. So the feeling that I was sensing that this was about grace, it really is. Now, I think this is also, I can long for anything that I want, but it's only you who has, first of all, put this longing in me and then is making me walk. Mm -hmm. It's all about you. Even my longing is because you have put that in. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's so beautiful. Right. There's almost no outside. You know, everywhere I look, I see you or whatever, right? Right, um, right, right. Another line. You know, also, as you were talking, I'm reminded of these two lines. My God, I always do this. <laughs> but I'm reminded of two lines from Fareed that I keep, have really been in my head for the past like month, which I have a translation of because, you know, I don't do that. <laughs> Not my translation, but it's a couplet from Fareed and the translation I have is, Fareed, the path is muddy and the house of my beloved is so far away. If I go out, my blanket will get soaked. But if I remain at home, then my heart will be broken. Yeah, that's it. It's actually, you have no choice. You are, you really are at the mercy. Now I understand the word mercy. Because either way, I am your slave, your banda, mm-hmm. you know, I am who you want me to be. I have no will. Mm-hmm. And this is that, you know, that ultimate loving devotional surrender mm-hmm. where I thank you for sharing that because now, now I understand mercy in that. I mean, it, for me, it was grace. Mm-hmm. But now after you have explained this, I understand where the mercy is coming in. Yeah, I think I'm also struck by, like, the idea of yearning Mm. and the idea that, like, there is on this path of free, on this path of, to be on the path of freedom and to fly towards the divine, there's this necessary, there's this pain that always comes with it, right? The path is muddy and the house of my beloved is so far away. And if I go out, my blanket will get soaked, right? Like it's not, it's not a, um, it's exactly this idea of like serv- of bondage as mm. we've been translating, um, uh, sorry, how we've been doing reverence bondage, right? For bandhagi, this kind of necessary, um, the yearning is necessary for the freedom. And the yearning only comes if, the beloved themselves want me to yearn. Yes. And the freedom only comes if the beloved themselves gives me the feathers and the wings. Yes. But then we, it all comes down to, you know, it's hokum, right? Hokum, in hokum, we, um, this yearning has been put in. In hokum, everything is happening. So when I surrender to that hokum and I'm in that awareness, uh, there is then no tension and you just wait, and you just, you are, and you do whatever it is, but in that awareness. So there is no pain. Right, because if you don't, your heart will be broken. Yeah, yep, yep. Another one, beautiful one, by Pandan, by, by Nandalal, our favorite Goya, the poet, you know, ah, he is something else, isn't he? <laughs> Captures the heart and just, just when you think it couldn't get, you know, you, he couldn't churn it more or he couldn't squeeze it more, he does it again. And I think with this couplet for me, it's like, oh, really? Yes. Yeah. And He's I think so close to my heart. I think the other thing is that that we've, I think, both experienced is even as we've 
now spent over a year on each of these puzzles. There are some couplets I feel like I still don't understand, or some that I do feel like I understand, but even then when we discuss them again, I'm like, oh, I actually didn't understand it. Or, oh, actually, there's like a whole other way in which I should be looking at this. Right. Well, there is an understanding and then there is an experiencing. And, you know, when you experience that the flying, that your heart is yearning to fly, um, I think that for me was there. But this freedom, free, was not there before. What does that mean? The flying bit I understood. And then, yeah, so it's, I think, also when you look at it and you go through your own experiences and you relate to it, so there's a deeper understanding but that understanding comes from from knowing from experiencing and that bit nobody can take you on it is you have to do it you know in in intellect intelligence can only take you to a certain point after that it's what we call the place of feeling the nation of feeling or the country of feeling you have to enter into that space and it's hard for the intellect to enter that space and let go right because the ego is there no intellectually i can understand it and said no 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 this is not the place where your intellect is going to work this is where the place where you know you've got to feel it you got to experience it and it's only then that the intellect bows and says, I could not have done this without the feeling. And that's when the ego comes down a bit and the heart begins begins to reign because the, now the mind has understood the power of the heart. You know, before it was all the head, the head was ruling. And then the heart was saying, you'll come to a place when you will bow you will need to bow to go to the next step. And I think in this one, for me, it was, you know, the play of the head and the heart as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then we move now to the fifth couplet, Daman. Um, and the fifth couplet is, the discerning man takes no breath other than the word of God. Besides his remembrance, all utterances are nothing but noises. So, Taman, I remember, you know, Fatima took a lot of time explaining this to us, the meaning and the connotation of Sahib Bahal, which was in the original. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. But, you know, from my recollection, it is the one who knows the one who's reached a particular stage of spirituality and divinity, where that person takes no breath, no, that, that every breath that that person takes is God's name. And she also said that, you know, Hal and Kal are the opposite. Mm-hmm. So while we have translated this as discerning, which we all felt, truly felt that this does not capture the original meaning, Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on this, Daman? Yeah, I think that's that's also how I'm recalling Fatima's explanation. So to start where you ended, Hal and Kal being opposites is important because, of course, we start with Sahibi Hal, 
in the first line and we end with call in the second line at the end of the second line so that's kind of the framing opposition in this couplet and discerning is yeah probably not capturing everything that you're describing in terms of um you know one who's you know can't breathe without remembering the divine you know discerning when i think discerning i think you know one who's wise and knowledgeable but isn't capturing the aspect of divine remembrance i think in the english but i also wonder if there's i think the reason we chose discerning is because there isn't quite a way in which a word in which we could you describe all of that in english um which i guess is something that we've dealt with throughout this process in terms of translating the persian um but yeah i think how, what you've described is how i i how i also understand this in terms of one who's the sahib hal master of hal master of remembering the divine experiencing the wisdom of the divine spending no moment without experiencing the divine is in opposition to gal which we have here as noises um but also gal suggests kind of argument mm-hmm. kind of a back and forth and um the dimension of um the dimension of kind of earthly debate right mm. conversation reasoning counter reasoning kind of trying to make logical arguments Mm. and that's counterposed to hall which is just this um ability to experience the divine versus one who can who tries to describe the divine maybe through logic right mm. um so these oppositions are what he's pointing out here um so he's kind of one who experiences the divine one who breathes nothing but the divine versus mm-hmm. one who you know talks and chatters and makes noise and maybe tries to um come up with rational explanations for the world and so forth um and that he's kind of dismissing because that for him isn't remembrance of the divine that's something else you know it's interesting um listening to you and what comes to mind is the hukum from yesterday it was um guru nanak sahib in dakhni onkar i mean it's a very long hukum but the rahau line it was so powerful uh, that it really truly made me pause and it was something i want to paraphrase it it's like opened it so it's o scholar mm-hmm. right why are you writing about things that cause arguments jinjal right cause tension and in the next line it is through the wisdom through the guru's word through the gurmo through the guru's word write about things write about the virtues of the divine of the mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. only that is worth writing so this is really that all utterances are nothing but useless and the guru is also saying everything else what, what what if you're writing about things which cause arguments and cause mm-hmm. people to get into confusion why are you doing that mm-hmm. you know here is a pandit here's a scholar i mean that really made me pause and think what am i writing am i mm-hmm. writing things that are causing people conflict 
Are the, are, am I creating tensions in them or am I just writing about the virtues, you know, flowing from the teachings of the Guru? Mm-hmm. So this really, this ghazal, this couplet, the share really made me, you know, it's how connections happen throughout the day is one thing leads to the other and and it's been with me for, you know, this Hukum has been with me because it really has taken an effect. And now listening to what uh, Painan Lal is saying, all utterances are nothing but noises. Mm-hmm. Why bother even speaking if you're not speaking something which is going to be uplifting, mm-hmm. which is service towards, the be- you know, to benefit, to bring someone closer to the divine? What is the point of speaking anything else but that? Mm-hmm. There is also a line from Fareed that I think about all the time. I'm not going to try to say the Punjabi, but I think the translation is something about Fareed reminding himself not to write against others, you know, write poorly of others, etc. And then the second line is something about kind of turning to yourself. And he's like reminding himself, you know, turn to yourself instead or kind of evaluate yourself instead or whatever. And I think about that all the time because I often fight the urge to just do the thing that we like to do, which is like critique, right? Just critiquing of others and so forth Um, because that's pretty easy. And also there's a lot of opportunities to critique people (laughs) Um, in general. So I find myself thinking about that all the time when I want to like, I don't know, be, be forceful about a critique that I have or something that I don't. Um, something that I don't think is is right, whether that's like, you know, and not just, I don't just mean this in the context of of the Sikh community or whatever, just in general in my work. So that reminds me of that also in terms of kind of what is noise and what is actual wisdom. Right. But I just love this, you know, besides his remembrance all utterances are nothing but noises. Yeah, truly it's something that will stay with us, I think with both of us for a while. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, love, I think it's important for the non-Persian speakers to reiterate kind of he starts with hall and ends with call, the kind of the framing of the couplet is also really, mm-hmm. um, really nice in the way it's, it's worded in the Persian. Yeah. So then now can we move to this next couplet? Yes. May our perfect spiritual guide bless you with his servitude. How fortunate is that omen that turns you into a discerning man. So here he's speaking to all of us, to the, to the readers. May our perfect spiritual guide bless you with his service. And, you know, we say that moment is auspicious or that moment is that, that that turns you into this, that where is that moment? It's so um, interesting. Like this entire ghazal, honestly, is like you're on a journey with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we use the word omen, but, mm-hmm. you know, when I was, I looked at it, uh, I thought about how fortunate is that moment, how auspicious is that moment, 
your thoughts them? So I would want to point out that the word servitude we've translated from Bandigi. Um, so that's a theme for, for listeners who've been with us month after month. Uh, we've seen Bandigi a lot. I, you know, we also just discussed it earlier in this discussion um, with bande meaning slave and bandigi meaning, you know, some sort of bondage. I think it's really interesting as you're pointing out that he's talking directly to someone or, you know, to the reader. But there isn't a sense of like separation between him having figured something out that the reader needs to figure out on their own. You know, it's our perfect spiritual guide. So I think that's really interesting and significant. Um, is that there isn't a sense of like, you know, what, you know, what, what I think the question would be, or at least, you know, one of the questions I've often had is like, what is the nature of grace? What is the nature of like, capital K knowledge? Is it that, you know, some people just like have the luck of having the gift of figuring out how to discern the divine secrets and the you know the rest of us kind of don't have that ability you know like what is the nature of that knowledge um has often been my question um that like i've tried to figure out um because i often also like you know we've talked about in a previous couplet the question of mercy the question of you know what is mercy is that something that's like granted to someone arbitrarily or is that something that's accessible to everyone um so kind of in a similar vein i think it's interesting that it's there is no like separation between nandalal as have you know it's not that he's saying you know i figured it out and i'm now a discerning man and i hope that you you know good luck and i hope that happens for you too you know it's as you're saying, it is a journey that he's taking on us. We can feel his like difficult, you know, the difficulties he's having and like the profound longing that he has and, you know, the work that he's putting in to figure out this right. divine beloved that's closer than the jugular, but is, you know, impossible to grasp and impossible to know. Um, okay. I think with the word omen, we struggled a lot with how to translate it because I think for me at least, and I think for most of us, the word omen in English has the connotation of like superstition or like, um, you know, relying on, I don't know, like in some sort of abstract sign or like some sort of so concrete sign that, that perhaps that one is graced or that one, you know, has the ability to know or whatever. Um, the word in the Persian that we've translated as omen fall um suggests something you know the dictionary definition is omen and it suggests you know a sign of something to come um a and i think maybe a prophecy and i think maybe that's a more hmm. maybe less loaded way to translate this word or maybe closer to what is meant fall in mubarak mubarak of course is a word we have in terms of like um good fortune or whatever, right? You know, a happy occasion. Um, 
you know, and perhaps it just means sign, you know, like maybe the way to translate it is just sign and maybe that sign is just recognition. So, you know, maybe omen has too much, for me at least the word omen has a lot of associations yeah. that trip me up. When so how auspicious is that, how auspicious is that prophecy that turns you into a discerning man? Even not fortune, that it's auspicious, is that what was that word you in Farsi? When you when you were saying it in Farsi, it was Mubarak is the word. Mubarak is mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like a congratulations. Mm -hmm. You know, Mubarak is a congratulatory time. Yeah, and I don't know whether fortunate. I don't even know whether auspicious. You know, has that, but there is some sort of a celebration in Mubarak. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Is it like a celebratory prophecy mm. or, and you know, what is an, you know, and prophecy feels very different from omen. Right. Omen um, is heavy. Yeah. Omen scares me a little bit. Also has all sorts of Brahminical connotations, right? That's the unsaid part of this discussion. <laughs> it's amazing how words have baggage, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's similar, I think, much to a much different degree, but similar to the slave question, right? The question of right. how to translate the word slave or bande or bandigi. Mm. Um, you know, as six of our time, we have to be on our toes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so we move to the seventh couplet, uh, which is really... Uh, well, I don't know what to say about this one. Without you, each moment and every breath seems as long as a year. This torment is hard to bear, hard to bear, hard to bear. This is the condition of lovers, Daman, you know. I just love the way we were able to capture the pain in the second line, that torment, mm -hmm. the repetition, hard to bear, hard to bear hard to bear, you can really feel that there, that without you, you know, every moment, each breath is, seems so long. And this torment is just unbearable, unbearable, unbearable. Yeah, I think we've done a great job with this. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like patting ourselves on the back, right? If All I four do, of us, we can, we, so we can take a bow now. Thank you very much. <laughs> But yeah, I agree with you. I think the the word vabal, which we've translated as hard to bear, also suggests something that's heavy, right? Like something that's physically heavy, something that's pain causing you pain. Um, you know, so this torment is painful, is painful, is painful. I think it really it's hard to bear. It's something that is burdensome and is like if you're bear, you know, for me this suggests like something that you're carrying day to day. It's kind of difficult to difficult to shed. Um, no, I yeah, I don't have much to say about this couplet. I think it's um, also again. I think in terms of the seeing the complexities of his relationship with the divine, because it's this kind of fleeting moments of 
discernment or knowing or recognition. But even still, there is this kind of longing that persists and this unknowability, even in the face of knowledge, etc., that I think is kind of interesting. You know, we, we have glimpses. And the ones where the glimpses get more and more, then you want that more and more. Mm-hmm. So without you, when you don't have that glimpse, when you don't feel that presence, that becomes unbearable. And you get into this, what did I do? Why are you not there? Why did I not, why am I not feeling your presence? So, yeah, I can, you know, there is, there is a surrender, there is everything, and he's experiencing a lot. But this continuous presence is when you reach a stage, is that when you want that when you desire and when that is not there and you know it yeah that's where the torment begins you know that this is hard to bear because you've tasted what mm-hmm. you've tasted the presence you know what that rust is you know what that state is so when you don't experience it that torment is something else it's like, basically, I don't need to live this way mm-hmm. because if I can't have you, life's not worth living. If I can't feel your presence, if I cannot be in this, in that moment, and, you know, and then it's settling down, whatever else. But this torment is a very, very uh, important stage as well. Mm-hmm. And that, this is also the part that keeps you... Uh, like who you said, on your toes, but humble. It's not all about you. It's really about grace. It's really right. about something else, right? Yeah. It's also the reasons I find myself wanting to escape to the mountain. <laughs> 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 but no, you know, Buren Singh told us that's not the right form of Simran. <laughs> nope, nope. Who has told us in Sitgo? You've got to be in this world, you know, honestly. Otherwise, I would be up in the mountain. <laughs> I would have just been there and been quite happy. But this whole part of being, you know, dragged into this, I mean, that's my pet peeve with Guru. You know, we have a conversation at some point. You know, really, does this world thing really have to do? Why can't I just not be up in the mountain? You know, it's so much easier. At least I think it would be so much easier. <laughs> But these are the conversations and the joys and the the connections. And I'm grateful to share them with you, Daman. You know, it's not a conversation you can have with anyone and in a way that they say, don't say, okay, when do we lock her up? <laughs> she hasn't said that to me, so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> So we come to the uh, to the last couplet, which I which was a bit unusual. Mm-hmm. Everyone who asks about you affirms nothing but your presence. The entire universe is amazed by your ever-present ultimate beauty. This one is so exquisite, and for me so true. 
you know, I think we can all relate to it. We all want to know, is there a divine? Is there a force? Is there a God? Is there a Khuda? Whatever it is. But actually, there's nothing that can be said that it is this or that because it is the unutterable narrative. Mm -hmm. It is an experience. And the ones who have experienced it, they are the ones that write or sing or relate it. But it's their experience. It's not ours. And, you know, the last line really takes me back to Asakibar, where it's all about the smart, the wonder of everything around me, like the entire universe. And I'm looking at, you know, the entire cosmos. They, the, like every living creature is amazed with being in this cosmos. It's, it's that beautiful. And what I found was really interesting was your ever-present ultimate beauty. So it's just not there. It's ever-present. Mm -hmm. It's that continuous. And to be in that state where you are constantly amazed in the state of wonder with this, with this constantly ever-present unfolding beauty 24-7 when you can see that and be in that, in awe of that, kudrat. And that's when the head bows automatically. But, you know, I'm interested because he, so far, every guzzle of his, the last couplet, he's always used his name. Mm -hmm. And in this one, he has not. Yeah, it's a strange thing. I will note that while he doesn't use Goya, his pen name, that we've seen in every other last couplet that we've translated as part of this series, at least, um, he is using the same verb. So Goya means, literally means, you know, one who utters or one who speaks. And he's using the same verb from which Goya comes in the first line of this last couplet. So what we've translated as everyone who asks about you, um, you know, we could translate more literally as everyone who speaks about you. You know, he is using the, the verb to speak or to utter. And he uses it twice in this line. Um, both, you know, what you've translated as everyone who asks and, um, you know, affirms nothing. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we could say, you know, everyone who speaks about you or everyone who utters your name. Um utters nothing but your presence or everyone who speaks about you speaks nothing but your presence. I like that one much better. <laughs> everyone who speaks about you, because there are lots of ones who say, those are the ones who speak from their experience and they affirm nothing but your presence. Yeah. So that, that would be another way to do it. And that is, um, both more literal and also, you know, if you're a Persian, if you're listening and you know the Persian, you would pick up that he's using the verb that from which his pen name comes. So it's kind of an interesting thing, that a choice that he's made here. I don't know if this makes it, like, formally speaking, not a guzzle, you know, because it doesn't have his pen name 
I would be interested to ask someone like Fatima what she thinks. Um, but he is still alluding to his pen name, even if he's not using it mm. explicitly. Interesting. And so here the word is heran again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we've used it and, we, and we've, we've translated it as, as amazed. Mm. Yeah. I think it fits better here. Yeah, so we are confounded in the in the earlier use of the word and now amazed. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, I wonder the entire word universe is confounded by your ever-present ultimate beauty doesn't quite work. Um, I think amazed too doesn't quite work because again, it does have this sense of like wonder and astonishment and amazement, but also, you know, overwhelmed, confounded maybe a little bit of shock and, you know, so forth, a sense of encountering the unknown or encountering the unexpected. Mm. Um, but we have the, that word is repeated, the word Hiran. And then we also have the word Jamal, which was in the, in the first couplet in the second line is again here, how he's using is the word he's using rather to describe the beauty of the divine. Mm. Um, so we have two repeated words. I mean, it's not that he he was he really was defining the beauty, right? Yeah. He began with that, and then he's ending with with it as well. Mm -hmm. So but, uh, this was really, honestly. I mean, I think probably I've said this. No, I think one of the guzzles I said this was difficult to understand. Yeah. But this one was just such a treat, and you know, such joy, and and to feel that movement and be part of it was really quite uh, quite a treat and was, I would say, amazingly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Daman. So before thank we you. sign off, anything you want to share? I don't think so. I think that I agree with you that this puzzle was, it was difficult to translate, I'll say. Mm because I think we struggled, well, I know we struggled a lot with figuring out, you know, we at the very beginning of the process, we didn't even attempt to maintain the repetition within the lines, right? We kind of were trying to say like, okay, if he's emphasizing that the divine's perfection is perfection, you know, like should we find three synonyms for the word perfection to like emphasize or describe the nature of the perfection. You know, that was where we started. And I'm really glad that we decided to just lean into the repetition because I think it's really effective. Mm, right. All right, dear Daman, it was a wonderful, I think 40 minutes spending with you while we were doing this recording. Uh, and, um, I wish you a good evening. Thank you, Daman, for a wonderful um, session, another session. I truly enjoyed being with you. And it seems to me that I share way too much over here. There is something called, I don't know what is it, oversharing? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm guilty of that in this one particularly. I think on all of them. But you make it comfortable. And I hope our... Um, listeners and readers you know we, we i mean we do hear from them from time to time um that they are enjoying it so if you would like to send us a, a note 
uh, we would love to hear from you. It's at info at sikri.org. But it's been a pleasure. I hope all of you um, are having a restful, enjoyable journey. I want to call it a journey because, you you know, our readers have been with us now for a while. And it's been a journey into Painandla's world and the way he looks at things. And this particular guzzle, you know, I feel that says a lot more than is not being said. There are many undertones in this one. And it's, it's a slow discovery. And I hope the way I have loved every couplet and discovered it and rediscovered it with Daman today again, that you do that, the same, that our readers feel the same and, and can get into this journey. So Daman, before I say goodnight to you, anything? Nope, that's all. Nope, that's all? <laughs> all righty. So, bye Guruji ka khalsa, bye Guruji ki fateh. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.